Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source for insights and best practices on the digital transformation of healthcare. Join host Patty Patmanaban, CEO of Demo Consulting and best-selling author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how consumerism, technology, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with healthcare and technology leaders. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, it is my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest, Jake Saddlemeyer, co-founder and CEO of Wellframe. Jake, such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for setting aside the time and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Patty. Great to speak with you today. Wonderful. Jake, for the benefit of our listeners here, would you like to tell us a little bit about uh, who Wellframe is and how you got to founding the company? Yeah, for sure. So Wellframe is a, a company that is partnering with healthcare organizations to drive digital transformation of, of experience for, for members and patients. Uh, we primarily work with, with health plans and we're really helping health plans to modernize the way they deliver services and the experience they have from their members. Our starting point was in the context of, of digitally modernizing clinical support services for, for high-risk members, and we've been expanding to help plans drive toward a more integrated and holistic service model. Think of like a, a concierge or advocacy type service that really, really transforms the experience that members have in plans and positions plans to help people figure out all the hard stuff relative to both their, their health and, and as they navigate the healthcare system. The company was founded back in uh, late 2011, early 2012, diverse group of folks as an epidemiologist by training, got together with a, a primary care physician, a computer scientist, and a data scientist. And our, what was really driving us was seeing a huge gap between the day-to-day -day needs of people, especially those living with chronic conditions or multiple chronic conditions, and all the stuff that people need to do to manage their health at home, to make good decisions about their care, and seeing often people feeling stressed, isolated, unsure, and, you know, the healthcare system having significant resources and motivations to help those people, but really struggling to figure out how to do it in a convenient and high-touch manner at scale. And at the time, there are some technology enablers that were relatively new, seems quaint now, but things like mobile devices, some new machine learning techniques that we saw presenting a huge opportunity to better organize the resources of the healthcare system around the needs of people outside of the four walls of care delivery and kind of day-to-day -day at home and in the community. And we were motivated to make an impact and we thought we could bring our collective skills and expertise together to help bridge that gap with technology and do it in a way that was really focused on extending relationships and helping to people to feel supported and cared for during periods of need. Excellent, excellent. We'll dive into some of that as a part of the conversation, but let's start a little bit with the macro environment. Obviously the pandemic has changed a lot of things. I'd love to hear what it has meant for your company and your growth. But also, maybe you could touch upon what has happened in the broader landscape. You know, what has it meant for your customers, for instance, the health plans? What has it meant for your consumers? What has it meant for the competitive landscape that you operated? So maybe you could give us just a little bit of an overview of the environment that you operate, your company operates in today, and what, what trends have emerged in the last 18 months or so. Yeah. Oh, man. Huge topic. We could spend hours on this, but I think um, a few highlights. I'd say I'd say even before 
COVID, there were some pretty significant market consumer temporal trends that were pushing more of the market towards some of the things that we're doing. You know, expectations among consumers that they'd be able to access care and support through digital channels, through mobile, because that's what they're doing in every other part of life, had started to take hold for large healthcare organizations, people who are purchasing insurance or purchasing care, you know, whether it was employers or state agencies or whatever, expecting more from health plans and expecting a more modern, more modern service model and more modern experience for their constituents. And so I think that was increasing the urgency for plans to make these investments to, to digitally modernize their services. COVID had a number of impacts. I think it, it laid bare some of the challenges inherent to traditional modes of communication and engagement when health plans saw the need among thousands and millions of members and had didn't have ways to communicate with people, to provide support, to give them guidance, to communicate policy changes, you know, to recommend actions for them. It kind of laid bare some of the, the deficiencies of, of not investing in, in these more modern channels to reach a lot of people. And then the telemedicine kind of acceleration, right, where incentives were aligned among consumers or patients and providers and health plans and regular, regulators, that was kind of a, a perfect storm to, to massively accelerate adoption there, taught a lot of people that they can get care and they can get support through digital and taught a lot of, you know, I'd say fairly uh, risk averse healthcare organizations that had been pretty skeptical about value here that, you know, challenged a lot of the traditional paradigms that had kept virtual channels as a bit of a sidecar uh, to the healthcare system and taught a lot of folks that actually, as you go forward, this is, um, this is the main event. And so, you know, I think it, it elevated the stature of some of the things that we're doing and it, it hit the priority list of more and more health plan leaderships and boards and whatnot, and, you know, has expedited some of the expansions with our customers and kind of put us on the radar of more and more plans that recognize that if now is not the time to invest here, then I, then I don't know when is. So basic question, who pays for your technology and your services? You know, your, you said your clients are health plans and, uh, how do they actually justify making an investment uh, in a platform like yours? And by extension, any other digital health platform? Sure. Yeah, so our kind of target customer is any organization that's holding some sort of risk around outcomes and is investing resources in supporting and engaging people to get better outcomes in a way to mitigate that risk. Historically, that's largely been health plans. And so that constitutes the majority of our customers today. But you see growing prevalence of risk-bearing providers that are hitting scale and investing in these types of services. And, and those are all really relevant for us as well. And so the kind of business case or the value prop for them is they're spending money on services today that are trying to support and engage their, their members largely through telephonic interaction, home visits, and things like that. And mobile presents a more intimate but scalable channel through which to extend these relationships of therapeutic support in a very high touch and convenient manner as to reach more people in need and to support them more effectively and to deliver services that make an impact on the way people manage their health at home and the choices they make about their care that ultimately leads to higher quality and, and lower cost and a more competitive plan product. So our motives are aligned with our, our health plan customers to deliver a better member experience to deliver a, a more competitively priced planned product and to innovate and differentiate in a market where there's a growing amount of disruption from startup health plans, from third-party service providers, and the expectations around how plans invest to and engage and support their members continue to evolve at a rapid clip. 
And we provide a technology, but also partnership to catalyze modernization and transformation of these services in order to help our customers compete and meet the needs of, of their members as well as their you know, other stakeholders. So risk-bearing, risk-bearing models are the ones that are your sort of your sweet spot, if you will, to, yeah. to justify these investments. Now, speaking as a consumer of healthcare, my health system, my provider, extends the same kind of services to me as does my health plan. As a consumer, when I get messages, uh, outreach campaigns that are evidently targeting the same thing, right? Better you know, health behaviors, better lifestyle, better management of chronic care conditions, and so on and so forth. What do I make of it? You know, do I engage with both? Uh, you know, who, who do I go to first? And what are you seeing? And how, how does that dynamic play out in the way you position your platform and your services? Yeah, we see that as a really exciting opportunity on the horizon. As we have evolved from digitally modernizing care management to helping our customers deliver more holistic support, our first objective was helping to break down some of the silos within a health plan to offer more integrated services, to offer more holistic support, to focus on the needs of the member first. But from there, we see a lot of opportunity to help our customers facilitate more and more collaboration between plan and provider as it relates to the provision of these supports such that for the individual, they're a patient, they're a member, it's not, I'm talking to my plan over here, I'm talking to my provider over here, and there's no crosstalk in between. And so we think that that digital channels and the workflows that can be built around those present an exciting opportunity to facilitate more collaboration and crosstalk between plan and provider. And that goes along with a a growing trend toward vertical integration, toward value-based care arrangements, toward more collaboration from a financing and a risk-sharing perspective that you know create incentives for this to happen in different geographies and different markets. And we appreciate that it's not, there's no silver bullet and it's not easy, but we think that the ingredients or the building blocks to do more and more of this are, are increasingly there. And you know, we have active strategies with all of our plan partners around how to drive more provider collaboration and move more of what we're doing closer to point of care. Well, historically, providers and payers have not been great at uh, collaboration. Where is it changing? Which parts of the market do you see as the opportunity areas to drive these collaborations to create value at the end of the day for the consumer slash member slash patient? I think that competition in the market is forcing more collaboration. When you see large plans that are vertically integrating with providers very aggressively, when you see startup health plans that are doing joint ventures or close collaborations with provider systems, you recognize that you know, planned products are getting out there that have tight collaboration with providers. And there are benefits to consumers or members, and there are benefits from an efficiency perspective that derive from that. And I think that's forcing everybody to rethink some of the traditional paradigms and and to rethink, you know, relationships that historically may have been more contentious and to figure out how do we work collaboratively to deliver the best possible solutions to consumers Uh, at the highest value and the best experience. And I think folks that aren't thinking that way are going to struggle to succeed and compete because the market's passing them by. Where does a firm like yours play in that equation uh, to bring about this collaboration? Do you see your platform sort of straddling both sectors? If you will, today you're working with plants, do you see yourself working with providers in future and somehow integrating the two at the data layer, at the experience layer, whatever you want to call it, uh, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, for sure. I think that, um, so, you know, we also work 
with providers and have been deployed in the provider context for seven plus years. And we have a number of our plans that are actively deploying us through providers that they either own or have partnered with or have some sort of value-based care relationship with. And those are giving us great learnings and proof points and insights into how we can scale that model in different payment arrangements and different geographies and different lines of business and, and types of plans. We also see opportunities to work directly with providers that are taking risk that starts to look like full capitation and are hitting a scale yeah. where they start to invest in their own types of services here. The other thing that's playing into this is, is all the regulations around data interoperability and data integration are taking hold that are putting consumers in a position to share their data more seamlessly and you know creating a forcing function for organizations to open up APIs to allow this data to flow. And so the idea that we'd be able to, to help facilitate the exchange of clinical and claims data on behalf of an individual that is both a patient and a member, as you look out over the coming years, is possible in a way that would not have been possible five years ago. And so yeah. I think that the some of the, the government regs that are that are encouraging this type of interoperability play into, into the strategy of our of our customers and into what we're doing pretty heavily as well. I like the fact that uh, you, you laid it out as a forcing function. You know, the CMS interoperability final ruling has been a long time coming. Yeah. It's still in early stages. We have yet to see how it's actually going to play out, uh, but it's definitely a step towards unlocking the data from where it sits. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox. Now, let's talk about your competitive landscape. There are incumbents on the other side of the aisle, which is the provider side of the market, who are doing what you're doing today, which is taking a, a lot of these uh, uh, care management services, if you will, to their uh, to providers, maybe you know, in very fragmented ways, which is also something that uh, we need to we need to talk about. Because today in the digital health marketplace, there's lots and lots of innovative solution providers out there. When I talk to our clients, uh, firstly, they're they're confused and they are struggling to parse the market to make the right informed choices for them. On the flip side, even more mature startups are struggling to stand out and uh, they are adopting different strategies to really maintain their relevance in the market. So talk to us a little bit about how you're looking at this from the point of view of either increasing your surface area or increasing your impact and going deeper or broader. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you don't have to look hard to see that there's been a massive influx of investment capital into this space, which is, uh, you know, allowing thousands of, of kind of blossoms to bloom, so to speak, right? And, and I think that that is catalyzing innovation away in a way that's very exciting to open up new care models and new solutions and and offer a plethora of options to incumbents in terms of either disruptive forces or enabling forces or otherwise. I think that the challenge with that is you run the risk of actually adding to fragmentation as opposed to countering it, right? And you see, you know, there's a, a lot of, for instance, point solutions that provide the virtual care solution for diabetes and for behavioral health and for maternity and for cardiac. And that's great, but, you know, a lot of the people that have serious need don't have one condition, they have four or five or six, right? And so how do you how do you manage that? And so we actually see that health plans are in a pretty unique position in that they manage a network of all types of providers and they capture data that while not to the clinical depth looks holistically ac- across the care that people are getting, you know, often among multiple providers. And there's an opportunity for health plans to facilitate integrations 
that allow people to access the resources that they're looking for and to help people navigate to the resources that are best for them to break down some of these that some of the silos that are coming from this additional fragmentation. And so, you know, we're partnering with plans to help them establish a relationship with their members proactively, identify what their needs are and help them get to the highest value resources. And that could be helping them find the right person in customer service or care management within the plan. It could be helping them find the right provider and network, whether that's brick and mortar or virtual care, or it could be helping them find the right point solution or third-party benefit that's offered to them through the plan or through the employer. And I think that plans have an opportunity if they invest in establishing, you know, these more modern relationships with members to help them find the right resources and to help kind of organize and curate this plethora of solutions that can be dizzying to an individual, let alone an employer who has to make purchasing decisions and can help evaluate the impact of these solutions and then sort of optimize their routing to help people get to the thing that's going to be best for them. And we think that what we're doing can play a meaningful role in in helping to to enable that strategy. And then, you know, as as it relates to the provider side of things, in a world where, where payments are evolving and risk is shifting, there's certainly ambiguity in some situations about who's responsible for what, right? And I think that whereas historically the risk is that a lot of people are going to fall between the cracks and neither the provider or the plan is paying attention to them when they're not, you know, getting care. There may be situations where, you know, they're being paid attention to too much. And I think that that's not ideal, but I think that's a, a swing in the right direction and, and more collaboration between plan and provider can help work that out. And, you know, I don't think there's a simple solution to that. I don't think technology is the only solution to that, but we do see earnest effort among our customers to work more collaboratively between plan and provider to sort that out and to increase communication and collaboration there. And I think that I think that'll pay off over the coming years, but it's it's not easy or, or simple. Yeah. I listened to your uh, fascinating conversation with Senator Frist, uh, where you talk about uh, care management and chronic conditions in particular. And you mentioned the multiple the comorbidities that the most intense cases represent, yeah. right? I remember you talked about really expanding into more and more new therapeutic or clinical areas. So if you're in diabetes, you know, and you find that your diabetics seem to have certain kinds of comorbidities, hypertension, yep. et cetera, et cetera, it makes a lot of sense to create a, an offering that covers all of those comorbidities in, in a one-stop shop kind of way. Is that the direction you're going as a company? Well, I'd say more than that. That that's a critical part of the foundation that we've been built on, and so. You know, if you look at a lot of efforts that said, I'm going to start with a condition and then I recognize there are multiple conditions. And so I'm going to stack these condition specific solutions and then try to kind of cobble them together. We purpose built our platform from the start to enable holistic clinical support to people with multimorbidity and people with clinical complexity across both physical and behavioral health domains, recognizing that it's the person that has is managing multiple conditions and managing social drivers of health that tends to be the highest risk and tends to be the people among the people who are targeted for programs like care management. And so all of our programs are, are modular. So for the individual with you know complicated type 2 diabetes, stage 2 heart failure, mild depression, who needs help with nutrition and finding a doctor, we can bring those modules together to offer holistic support to that individual in the context of an integrated care team that it could include a nurse, a coach, a social worker, an expert peer, a customer service representative. So that's really been core to our strategy from the start. And it's enabled us to 
help our customers to target, you know, some of the most complex members that they have to enable, you know, nurse-led clinical services. I think a lot of the interventions that are framing themselves as care management are actually non-clinical coaching services, yeah. which can be incredibly valuable, but there's a different scope in terms of what they're able to tackle and, and who they're able to help. And for health plans, for instance, while there's been you know, varying levels of appetite to insource or outsource some of the less clinically intensive services, I think most plans have continued to own you know, nurse-led care and case management throughout. Yeah. So you talk about digital health startups. Now let's talk about the, the whole tech landscape. It's, there's the big tech firms. Then you've got uh, some of the larger healthcare-focused tech firms. It could be the EHR companies in the case of providers, or it could be some of the, the mature uh, telehealth companies that have gone public. And then there's a whole range of uh, digital health startups. To your point, more are emerging every day. So what is your advice? And now you've been, your company is now 10 years old, uh, more or less. And what is your advice to someone coming into the market, an entrepreneur uh, coming into the market today, seeing the opportunity to raise money easily because there's so much money available? What is your advice to the VCs who are planning to put money in them? Well, I think that there's a lot of money coming into this space. And so that the, the concern or the or skepticism is that we're kind of overfunding ahead of the market. But I think there's also a lot of evidence that the market is being disruptive and that there are huge pockets of need and opportunity that are conducive to significant change. And that change is probably not going to be driven entirely by incumbents. It's going to be delivered through disruptive forces that push incumbents to change or companies like us that are enabling incumbents to modernize more quickly than they'd be able to do on their own. I think given the, the huge amount of need for improvement in the way care is delivered, the convenience, the quality, the accessibility, the cost, it's hard to say that we're putting too much money into this space. In fact, you know, even if some of this money is like, quote unquote, wasted, if that helps accelerate the improvements in care that help people get better outcomes and, and save lives and improve quality of lives, I think that's, that's an excellent thing. And, you know, no one can argue that, like, we're almost there, right? There's such a long way to go to make care work for people in the way that I think we would all imagine it would. So, you know, I think that uh, money's coming into the space for a reason. And some folks will be really successful and some won't, but that's the venture model, right? Yeah. And, um, and I think for entrepreneurs coming into this space, I would, I'd say you really need to be passionate about the impact that you're making because nothing happens that quickly in, in, in healthcare. In and healthcare. It does, it does require a significant amount of persistence. Um, but I'd also say now is an excellent time to be part of that change. And I think that things are possible today that weren't really imaginable 10 years ago. So it's, it's, it's really exciting. Well, the flip side to that is uh, just, uh, just recently, we saw that a couple of the big tech firms had scaled back their investments in the healthcare market. Uh, you know, if deep-pocketed mature companies uh, you know, are forced to scale back, what does it mean for the, the appetite in the marketplace for disruptive technology-led innovation models? Is that just a blip where their circumstances are different? Or does, is there a broader message here that we should be listening to? Well, I think the, it's such a big space and there's so many opportunities that the large tech and retail players will continue to make investments in this space. I think the idea that because they pull back, that signals some failure or something like that. I mean, you want to encourage large organizations to invest and to innovate and to take risks. 
right? And when you take risks and you try something new, it doesn't always work exactly the way you thought and you need to pivot and you need to adjust. And I think it's, it's laudable that these large organizations are doing that. And so I'd be very reticent to criticize organizations that may look like they're pulling back or changing their strategy because if you're a startup, you need to do that 10 times over before you hit your stride, right? And, and I think that it's, you know, it's, it's hard to do new things within large organizations. And I applaud the fact that they're, that they're doing it and they're trying to make an impact in such an important space. And I think between the healthcare incumbents who have an appetite to improve and commercial pressure to improve, the large tech and retail players that are pushing to disrupt, as well as the, you know, the venture-backed and private equity-backed startups that are pushing new things, you know, hopefully those all meet in the middle and, and sort themselves out. And that's good for consumers. And you know, we're, we're privileged to be a part of that. And it doesn't mean you always win, but uh, if you can help move the ball forward and, and make things better for for people, then then that's a goal. That's all well said. Well, uh, we are out of time, Jake. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. And uh, I really look forward to following your company and your progress. And I wish you and your company and your team all the very, very best. Thank you very much. Great to speak with you today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can reach us at info at thebigunlock.com with your feedback and questions. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partners, Innovacer and Powbox.